Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to make a brief note that this episode does touch on some mature subjects as we discuss marriage, particularly in the latter half of the show. Um, I know a number of our listeners might uh, listen together with their family in the car or uh, whatever the case may be. There might be some terminology or some discussions that young ears are are not ready for yet. And so uh, nothing too extreme or anything, but just uh, wanted to make sure and give that heads up ahead of time so you could make that decision for you and your family. Welcome into the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Jack Wilkie and Joe Wilkie. We have got a fantastic episode lined up for you today. Before we get into that, there is a very important announcement that we have to make. Um, You should be getting this on a Monday, uh, April the 11th, but tomorrow is a very special day, and it is the birthday of our very own Joe Wilkie. He turned, well, you know what, I'm actually going to let him reveal his age if he so chooses, but uh, early happy birthday to you, Joe. Uh, hope today or hope tomorrow is an awesome day for you. Got any big birthday plans? Got any big birthday wishes? Fellas, I'm 28 at this point. A birthday is pretty much another day. So, no, no are no you going to sing to me party now? or anything like that? My son would love a volcano party. So maybe I'll do that for him. He loves volcanoes. But uh, no, I was talking to a guy at church. Yesterday, uh, we had another on the 10th, we had a, a member whose birthday and so we celebrated him. Um, we were talking about when you get old, going out to eat for your birthday isn't that fun because if I wanted to go out, I would have done it already and paid for it. So <laughs> you have to pay for it, right? Exactly. If if there's a gift that I really wanted six months ago, well, then either I got it for Christmas or I bought it myself. So yeah, at this point, it's kind of a day. I got a lot of work lined up, but that's okay. Uh, my wife is very good to me. And so if I were there, I would take you out, but I'm not. So same here. How, what do you mean? Take me out? Is like, that... Yeah. To lunch, you know? It's, oh, okay. It's the thought okay, that counts like, though, right? Would you hit me or? Okay. Yeah. That's the thought that counts. <laughs> yeah. You take me out. Also, as far as uh, a special ahead, shout out sorry. to Will's new microphone. Uh, now we, he's yeah, the silent right. partner. Yes, absolutely. So. Hopefully I sound Sounds much good. clearer than previous episodes. And as far as singing uh, happy birthday to you, uh, Joe, I think our audience would thank us to not sing happy birthday. But to hey, you but it sounded really good on your new mic. Yeah, that is true. Really <laughs> that would be the litmus test for it. No, seriously. Happy birthday, Joe. Thank you. Um, Thanks, fellas. Happy early birthday. Let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. So we are now on the third consecutive week in which we have devoted to pretty much discussing uh, the idea of gender. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at what is biblical masculinity, uh, how has the world twisted, perverted masculinity, uh, what does the Bible have to say about it? And the last week, we looked at the other side, looked at femininity, and you know what is the biblical value and role of being a woman. And we've, uh, again, spent a good amount of time discussing both of those, the biblical value of both. And so with this third episode in this uh, quote-unquote series, you might say, uh, we want to take a closer look at how these two things, masculinity femininity, the roles of each gender, uh, the value of each gender in general, we want to take a closer look at how this plays into the marriage relationship. Um, We got to talking, kind of planning for episodes, obviously, and we decided it pretty much was impossible to devote uh, a series a month uh, to this discussion on gender without at least addressing marriage. Um, Again, we've looked at uh, each perspective, masculinity and femininity, kind of from an individual perspective. Uh, we, we've thrown in some things about marriage here and there, but we wanted to devote an entire episode to 
how do how does the value of masculinity how does the value of femininity their separate roles their how do those things play into marriage and to to preface it to get us into the discussion before i kick it to the guys um hopefully most of our listeners will agree i don't think this is a very controversial position but within the churches of christ today to put it quite bluntly we aren't uh viewing marriage correctly in the church of christ today it's very a very general statement but as you look around, we're seeing in the, in the Church of Christ in 2022, you know, global, or should I should say at least nationally in the United States, we're seeing more and more divorces. Uh, divorce is becoming more and more prevalent within the church. Uh, for those that don't get divorced, uh, you look around an auditorium on a Sunday morning, those that are still married are not exuding um, happiness or joy in their marriage. Again, you look around and you see a bunch of people who, sure, they might be married, they might not have gotten divorced, but they look miserable. They don't act like they enjoy being married. They don't act like, um, you know, they even wanted to get married. And then you've got the the third element, the third piece of evidence as to the fact that we don't view marriage correctly in the church. And that is that young people today are choosing kind of to shy away from marriage. They're choosing to avoid marriage. They're, they're choosing cohabitation. You know, I'll just live with my boyfriend, girlfriend. I'll live with my partner. I'll, uh, you know, shack up with them, so to speak, rather than get, rather than, choose to get married to them. And I think a lot of that has to do with that second point that, you know, we don't exude happy marriages. So young people look at it and they say, why would I want any part of that? But you see all of these things and it's sad. It's, it's um, depressing even that the, the church of Christ that, or the the church that in, in the book of Ephesians, we see marriage is supposed to be modeled after we're not viewing it correctly. We're not exuding joyful marriages. Young people are not choosing marriage. And so I want to kick it to the guys as we kind of get this thing started. Um, why is it, do you think, that this has become such an issue uh, in, in recent years? Why is it that young people are shying more and more away from marriage? Why is it that our uh, marriages that do exist, that don't end divorce or don't end in divorce are not exuding joy? What's, what's been kind of the, the things that you guys have noticed on that end? It's something that I, I, we, we've talked a lot about how we follow the culture, right? And the culture has seen marriage just decay in, in unbelievable ways in the last 70 years. Uh, again, the introduction of cohabitation, the introduction of no-fault divorce, uh, really the idea that you can kind of enter in and out of marriage uh, as as easily as you like. Uh, you know, that divorce is not a, a thing that anyone enjoys, but it, it's an option that's in everyone's back, back pocket at all times. Um we do have couples, and I mean, we, we, we see people with strong marriages. Um, I think we've all been blessed to know uh, couples that have been married 50 plus years, uh, and, and the joy that comes from that, and the beauty of that, and, and that's something that needs to be uh, really pushed and, and, and praised, and, and something that we should hold up as, this is great, and, and young people, you can have this, and, and even if you're in a marriage right now, and you've been in one, and you, you're kind of in that you know, kind of gotten to know each other, kind of settled in, kind of not really enjoying it, you can get there. Um, it, but it, it takes this mindset that gets out of some of the gender stereotypes we talked about last time, some of the bad advice that's been given, um, really transforming our view on it to something that can be great rather than just something that, you know, again, where we've accepted the culture's view on it, the whole, the old ball and chain kind of thing, and men are stupid, and women, you know, are are putting up with men all the time, and all those things we've talked about the last two weeks, we got to break free of that and stop letting the culture tell us that this is a a miserable thing. Absolutely, and what we want to do with this podcast is we want our listeners to recognize, yes, we are young guys. I think, Will, you've been married for three years, 
right? Three years, yeah. Um, I am at five and a half. Jack, you're coming up on six, I believe, in July. Um, no, we are not the marriage experts that have been through 50 years of marriage and are now imparting this um, grand wisdom. <laughs> and we understand that. That's not what we're looking to do with this podcast. We're not coming from a place of on high. We're coming from a place of, look, what we're trying to do is see the things that we heard growing up about marriage, some of these myths, some of the the bad advice that we have heard that has set us back. Things that in, in the five, six, you know, three, five, six years of marriage, respectively for us, uh, things that we've had to undo. And so the culture has wreaked havoc on Genesis 2. That's again, starting with the genders, the role of the genders uh, and the creation of those genders. But then of course, Genesis 2 culminates in marriage, which is intended to be that that pinnacle there of God's design, I think, uh, right before the fall. And so we want to play at marriage as this is an amazing thing. This is not the other thing that we will say is for those single people that are listening to this going, oh, it's a marriage episode. You know, I'll pass on this. We're hoping that this helps you as well in saying, hey, don't believe you may have heard some of these these myths, some of this bad advice as well. Don't believe it. We're going to work through that in today's episode. And so, Will, I'm going to let you kick this off. Um, yeah. Is, yeah, go for it. Before I do, I want to encourage everybody who's listening um, at your local congregation, wherever it is that you worship. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this already, look around at those who ha- are, are faithfully married or have been faithfully married for you know a good amount of time, 20, 25, 30, however many years. As you already said, uh, we would not qualify for that. You know, Six years is, is what Jack is coming up on. Um, but look around your congregation, find your elders, find your deacons that exude a happy marriage, invite them over, you know, take them out to eat and just ask them questions, you know, you know, hopefully prayerfully, it's not something that they would shy away from, but there are to Jack's point, uh, we can paint with a broad brush sometimes about the fact that we don't have happy marriages within the church. There are a lot of faithful Christian couples that do exude a joyful, a happy, a faithful marriage. And I would encourage you to seek those people out, seek those people out, ask them questions, you know. Try, try to learn from, try to, try to gain their wisdom as well. Every congregation, uh, again, prayerfully and hopefully has, you know, at least a couple, uh, has several couples that, uh, exude a happy and faithful marriage. So find those people and try to get wisdom from them. Um, but to get into kind of some of the, as Joe brought up the myths, some of the bad advice that we have observed that we have received, uh, even before we got married, transitioning into, you know, being engaged to getting married, uh, the first one that I want to jump to is kind of something that we brought up in the in some of the previous episodes. I believe it was the masculinity episode about being kind of the nice guy. And we talked about how men are told, trained, taught now that they just need to be nice guys that, you know, don't really stand up for anything. Don't offend anybody. You know, if your wife wants to do something, just be the nice guy. You know, let let her take the let her take the lead on that. Let her have it her way. Um, and so. To, to start with that discussion, I want to ask you to, why is this such a bad thing for marriages? You know, I, th- I think a lot of people would, would think that, Hey, for husbands, at least if you're, if you're going to be the nice guy, that's going to earn you a happy marriage. You know, that that's probably some of the bad advice that many have received, or at least the impression that many have gotten. Why is that not true? Why is it that being the nice guy, despite what culture and everybody else will tell you is not going to earn you a happy marriage? Uh, there's a, uh, you go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, there's a, I think he's a reformed Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian preacher uh, by the name of Doug Wilson. And um, again, disagree with a lot of things. As we've stated before, I think that goes without saying to disagree on salvation and a lot of issues. But he has some pretty good takes. And one of the things that he said, and I think I may have quoted this a little while back, is um, 
women have the unique ability to get everything that they ever want and still be unhappy. And this comes from the nice guy approach where you have a husband who fails to lead. He makes the wife his goal, his mission uh, of, of making her happy and being super nice. So he never really has a backbone to stand up and say anything. And the woman can have everything that she has asked for and still be unhappy because she doesn't have a leader, somebody who's willing to say, hey, this is the direction of the family. This is where we're going. You may disagree, but I'm the head of the family. And this is what I believe God is calling us to do, obviously prayerfully and taking his wife's opinion in mind. But men are called to be leaders in the marriage and not just be the nice guy who kind of abdicates uh, or what is the word I'm looking for, um, who, who passes on the responsibility to that to his wife. And it doesn't look like that initially of him passing on the responsibility. The same thing as we talked about the masculinity episode. It is under this guise of being like, it looks really good. It looks like, wow, he gets his wife everything. He's super doting. He's loving. And those things aren't bad. We're not criticizing guys who are doting on their wives or who are getting them flowers or whatever else. It is doing that to the exclusion of being an actual leader and taking the the head role, the head of the family and doing with it what you're supposed to. Yeah, uh, that that is an, a needed clarification that it's not when we say don't be the nice guy, it's a term. You should be nice to your wife. You should love your wife. You should be kind. You should be not a hard-hearted person and, and all of those things. But what we're talking about is that abdication. It, it really is the taking a poll, you know, trying to keep your approval rating up, right? Uh, and to keep your approval rating up, you can't make the constituents mad. And And you think about if somebody governed that way, well... Because the Bible gives us all of these things of, of hierarchy and rule and, and leadership, right? You've got elders, you've got governments, you've got husbands, you've got parents. Put that into your parenting relationship, right? If you think, man, my kids are going to be unhappy if I do this, it's going to drop my, my parent approval rating. I, be, I better not do it. You know, if I tell them we're not getting ice cream, if I tell them they got to clean up their room, if I got to, you know, they're going to throw a fit, they're not going to like it. Um we, we see it's ridiculous there, but we've been taught that it's the right thing to do in marriage. Happy wife, happy life, uh, which we'll get into on, on the wife side of it. But for the man, it's, I mean, as I said on the Masculinity Podcast, we're told this is the right thing to do. To, to We use that term servant leader, and usually what that means, it's good to be a servant, it's good to be a leader, but usually what people mean by that is keep the approval rating high. Look around and see whatever, what does everybody else want? Let me make sure they get what they want and, and that way they'll still like me. But the point is, if you had a leader that ruled that way, if, if, if a parent raised their kids that way, if a government operated that way, they just said, what do you guys want to do? You don't need to be there. There is no point for you. You And so uh, the, the wife starts to understand that. There's no need for this man because he's not bringing anything to the table other than doing what I would do on my own. Right. I think that's this, what every... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. You go ahead. That's what every marriage needs to to do is what is what am I doing in this marriage? It's a question that we all should ask is what is the goal for this marriage and what am I currently doing in this marriage? And if you look around and your role is, well, I guess just to make everybody happy, wrong answer. Uh, that's something that needs we have we've been called to much greater than just keeping the peace and keeping everybody happy the kids the wife just i go i go to work to make a paycheck so i can put my kids through sports and make sure my wife you know has what has what she wants um we're missing out on the greater need in the marriage for a man who understands his role as hey working is a great thing and i'm i'm out there again as we've talked about in the masculinity but to subdue and and to have dominion over and we give that up completely so as to be a nice guy 
Well, in newsflash here, if you live your entire life trying to make everybody happy and be the nice guy, guess what's not going to happen? You're not ever going to make everybody fully happy. You know, no matter how much you want, you might hope for that or strive for that or make that your mission. You're never going to accomplish it. It's not going to happen. Um, but I, I want to speak to the the aspect of as far as this goes, you know, a lot of a lot of times we might jump to, well, the, the wife doesn't need to be taking any kind of leadership role. And of course, according to um, God's word, that is true. But how do you think our wives feel, you know, metaphorically speaking, when they have a husband who chooses not to step up and lead, who chooses to just try to be the nice guy and who chooses to just try to, you know, make everybody ne never take a, a stance that's going to make the kids unhappy, that's going to make her unhappy. You've got you know, the wife that ends up kind of running the household, really, because her husband won't ever do anything about it. And again, this is an issue that goes into both genders. But who does this ultimately fall on? The husband. It falls on the man. And so we have to make sure as husbands within our marriage that we are not just reverting to because a lot of a lot of people don't like confrontation. Right. Some people don't mind it at all, but a lot of people don't like it. And I think that's what kind of pushes a lot of husbands into this nice guy thing is. They don't want to get on the bad side of their wife. They don't want to get on the bad side of the kids, as Jack kind of brought up. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to, to you know, stir the pot in any way. So they're just going to revert to being the nice guy because they think it's a, it's a noble position, right? We can't allow that to happen, you know, no matter. And, and that might work for a week. That might work for a month. As I said just a second ago, in the long run, it's going to end. It's going to result in poor parenting decisions is going to result in an unhappy marriage. You know, you could get into the fact that it kills attraction between a husband and wife. Uh, we haven't really touched on that much. Again, you're just kind of ab abdicating your leadership. You guys have anything else to add on that before we kind of jump to the other side of it? I do, because we, we said at the start that we're speaking from our experience. We don't have a lot of experience, but the things that we do have experience of relates to these gender role things. And this is, was so big in my marriage. This is something that uh, in the last year, we've had some bumps that we uh, like learning this was was a revelation to me because as i said we're taught be the nice guy you know approval rating make sure that they're not upsetting people and so that was my default mode was looking at like well, what do you want to do is it, are you going to think poorly of me are you going to think i'm a jerk if i say that we need to do this and and my wife i mean you guys know allison uh a quiet and, and gentle spirit as quiet and submissive spirit the first peter verses we we referenced before um She's that to a fault. I mean, she's she's a, a lovely woman in that way, and so she's not gonna step up and, and say we're doing this. And and so I'm sitting back going, well, I don't want to hurt feelings. I don't want to step on toes. I want to just you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? We're not doing anything. And then that leads to a, a conflict of like, well, what are we gonna actually do? And and somebody's got to make this decision. And it's supposed to be me, but I'm thinking, well, she might not like me. She might be unhappy with me. Okay let's figure that out when we get there but somebody's got to do something and man this advice really really hurt us um and it's something that again as we have found our way out of it and found our way to more biblical advice of uh the leadership structure and 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 really what i'm supposed to do in this we're a lot happier for it and so this is from an experience and the this comes from for those single people that are listening to this um and, and even to the married people, are you enough on your own? Are you whole? Now it's, it's not good for man to be alone. We recognize that. But I also think this comes from a place of, I, again, the approval rating. I need my wife to like me. I need my wife to, to think high of me. 
And so we take, we're not whole individuals entering into a marriage. We're kind of, you complete me. We take that approach and this is what you get when you take a you complete me approach is I got to be the nice guy so that she likes me. You ought to like yourself and be liked by God. You are liked by God. And if you aren't stable in that, then you run to your wife to complete you emotionally to the point of like, you know, I, I have to have her like me. Now, the respect is important. The respect should come from you being an entire whole individual. But here's a, a quick litmus test before we move on. For those listening, and this goes to myself as well, when's the last time you took a strong leadership position? Maybe your wife disagreed, a strong leadership position in the family, and maybe you had, your, had to tell your wife no. Or maybe you disagreed and said, this is what we're doing. This is the direction we're going. And it could be on something as, as stupid as going out to eat all the way up to big decisions that majorly affect the family. When's the last time you took the leadership role? And if it's been a long time and you realize that you have given everything over to your wife, I would say maybe look to make a change. Well, and again, as was already brought up, we're not saying be a jerk. We're not saying no. be a chauvinist. We're not saying never ask your wife's opinion on everything. But to Joe's point, we have to be willing to do that. You know, not that that's our default. Well, I'm just you know going to mow somebody over to make, you know to do what I want to do. To Joe's point, we have to be willing and ready to make that decision. We have to be willing and ready to, if it's in the best interest, spiritually, physically, whatever of our family, and there's a disagreement, you're going to ruffle some feathers. You got to choose to ruffle the feathers. You got to choose to to you know make a ripple in the pond, so to speak. But I want to jump to the other side, um, and I don't know who I want to tee off first on this because this is one that we've discussed quite a bit. This idea of Happy wife, happy life. You hear that quite a bit, right? The idea that, you know, you just got to do whatever or do whatever you can do to, to keep your wife happy. You know, even when she's wrong, she's right. I remember we got uh, for when Rachel and I got married, we um, I think we still have them, too. We don't pay much attention to them, but we got two pillowcases and um, my the, the one that was on mine, my pillow it said Mr. Right. And then the one that was on hers, you guys can probably guess, said Mrs. Always Right. And, you know, that's that's harmless. Right. That's just something kind of cheesy. But it, it speaks to this notion, this idea of, again, your wife's always right. Just bow down and apologize, you know, keep the peace with her, you know, make sure that she's happy and you'll be happy. Guys, what's the problem with this? You know, again, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to tee off Jack first because Joe could probably go about 10 minutes on this one. Jack, what's the problem <laughs> with this idea? So the problem here is it's the mirror image of the nice guy problem, right? Uh, the nice guy is told seek approval, make sure you're keeping everybody else around you happy and, and don't ever ruffle their feathers. And that gives the woman the the space to take the lead. It's telling her this is all about your happiness. Happy wife, happy life. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And it really kind of gives women the license to make everybody miserable if you're not getting your way. To kind of throw a fit if if you're told no, if your husband is not being the nice guy. And, and, and really, I mean... Honestly, there's jokes about these kinds of things, but these are real life things that happen of withholding sex or the, the silent treatment, things like that of I'm going to punish you if you get on my bad side. And, and we joke about these things as if they're okay. That's horrible. A you lot know, of times from the pulpit. Yes. Maybe not a lot of times, but yeah, yeah you, you hear them from the pulpit as well. Yeah. And uh, again, it's it's accepting this framework that the woman is really in charge, uh, you know, because you can say the man has the leadership. But if he only has the leadership when he's got her approval, then he doesn't have the leadership. She's the one running the show. Um, and that, that that is just going to create misery for everybody. And all jokes come from a place of truth, do they not? Uh, like the idea of the happy wife, happy life. Um, even when she's wrong, she's right. Right. That That's a quote unquote joke. 
if there wasn't some semblance of truth to that, it wouldn't be a joke. You don't make joke about jokes about incredibly outlandish things that nobody thinks. Well, I or, mean, you know, it's tied no, in probably, truth. You probably remember, you know, whenever you were engaged and, you know, telling people you're engaged. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. You would hear things like you got to learn two phrases. Yes, ma'am. And I'm sorry. You know, you'd hear yeah. that from guys as if you know, that's pretty much your only options when it comes to marriage. And it just really paints it, you know, it paints marriage in general in a negative light. Let's be honest for just a second. Guys in general, this is, I would say, a, kind of a human trait, but specifically guys don't really love the idea of what authority, right? We don't we don't like the idea of being detained, kind of being boxed in. Well, when we view marriage in that way, the just say, yes, ma'am, and I'm sorry, you're you're, you're just going to have to learn those phrases. It makes sense that we would begin to view marriage, you know, maybe inadvertently in a negative light, right? We're just going to have to, you know, bow down to our spouse and, and never really be able to, to go out and take a lead on anything. Again, that's the problem with this idea of happy wife, happy life. Just apologize, whatever you say, honey. That's the issue here. This is something that Christian women have to rein in because societally they have all the cards right now. Uh, if if they're unhappy with their husband, they can leave him, and uh, you know the alimony, the in the divorce, they're going to get all kinds of financial consideration, uh, and and so they're going to be able to pull that off. Uh, the custody of the children, by default, they're going to get more of it. Like all the sacrifice, they win, right? And and so that's something that women use a lot, and and that's a card that they have is basically, well, if I'm not happy with this, I can walk out of it and get everything I want. I can win the divorce almost every single time. And I mean, there's a online community of men called, I think it's called men going their own way, where they basically say they, they, you know, teach young guys this, look at this, look what happens. If the woman gets mad, she can blow up your whole life. Don't get married, stay away from women, women are, it's not worth it. And uh, it is a large thing of people saying that. And on the one hand, you can kind of understand it. If there is that threat of she can ruin my life and I can't have any recourse about it, why would I do that? That's the the beauty of Christian marriage is leaning in and saying, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to support. I'm going to be a perfect husband, but I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to love and support you and I'm going to lead you where I can. And the Christian wife saying, I have all these things at my disposal, all these tools. I will not use them. I'm going to lay all of this down. I'm not going to use the silent treatment. I'm not going to withhold sex for punishment. I'm not going to, you know, all of these these things that women are taught. You can do this to get your way. It's saying I'm not going to do that. And that community you're talking about is growing by the day because more and more guys, I just spoke with a guy the other day, um, Christian brother who is nearing 30 and he basically was like, I won't get married. And I was like, man, that's really sad. Well, he kind of goes with the, some people like Paul are given to, to be in a, uh, to be in a single man. And I think that's what I've been given. I said, Hey, good for you. But why? And he basically said, it is way too much problem. It's just so it's, it's such a struggle. And how sad is it? that marriage hasn't been modeled enough for him to see the beauty of it. And it's because Christians don't understand the beauty. The other thing that gets me about this one is the choose your battles, choose your battles, choose your battles. And what that means, though I'm not completely against the concept, what that typically means is bow down, choose your battles. There are going to be some battles that are worth don't, it. And I never take a stance on this one. Right. right. I've never met a guy who had a battle that he thought was worth fighting because, well, it might upset my wife. And, and when I'm in the doghouse and, you know, how many times do you hear doghouse terminology? Enough. Knock that off. He's, sleep, he's should, sleeping on the couch tonight. He, right. He's sleeping on the couch. That is ridiculous. Husbands, if you if your wife ever kicks you to the couch, you've got a serious issue. 
you need to fix that marriage immediately. That is not appropriate. Woman, if you, to the women out there, if you ever exercise that authority over a man, you are in sin. And men, if you bow down to it, I think you're in sin. Yes, I'm coming on strong. That boils my blood that people think that this is appropriate. And why do you think there are guys in the church, like the guy I spoke with the other day, who's 28, 29 years old, telling me he's never going to get married? Because this is what's modeled for him. I don't want to have to sleep on my own couch. I'm not going to. I'm the head of this marriage, and we're going to stay up until 3 a.m. and work this problem out if I have to. This idea, choose your battles, just sets me off. I have a thing in my marriage. And yes, we're coming at it. Look, young guys, again, I I don't want to have to continue to repeat this because people are going to go, well, what do you know about it? You've only been married for five years. I would, I would believe that a solid five years, a solid foundation and somebody not to pull out my credentials here, but I provide counseling for people that have been married for, you know, five, six, seven times as long as I have and help them through their marriages. Because theoretically this makes sense. And if you do it theoretically, it will work. So you say, but choose your battles is more real life. It shouldn't have to be. Look, everything, I, I have a 15 minute rule. If I'm thinking about it 15 minutes later, I will talk to my wife about it. I will bring it up. And she does the same thing. If it irks us 15 minutes later, I'm still thinking about it. Let's solve it because, well, because I don't if want you to don't correct me if I'm wrong. Bitterness sets in it, right? bingo. Exactly. Exactly. Bitterness sets in and you have people with years of bitterness because, well, I don't want to upset the wife or she even does the same thing. And she's quiet and doesn't talk about what, because there's this imbalance in the marriage that, or this really, it's just this myth that if people are upset in the marriage, it must not be a good marriage. And that's, that's not nice true. guyism teaches you bottle it up. You know, the, the, it teaches you not to do the 15 minute thing. It's you're mad at her, but yeah, if, if you confront her, it's going to be a big problem. She's going to be mad at you. She's not going to like you. She's going to hold a grudge against you, whatever else. So don't do it. And as you said, it's, it's building bitterness in you. And then right. in her, you know, she's doing whatever she wants. Maybe, you know, there's a, a selfish there that selfishness there that needs to be checked. And cause the other thing that kind of goes along with the nice guy thing and happy wife, happy life is, and this is a view that some people genuinely hold is if there's something wrong with the marriage, it is the husband's fault. And and to fix it, we have to fix the husband. Well, right. husbands are sinners. They need to be fixed. They need to repent of things. They need to change. Women are sinners too. They need to repent. They need to change. They need to grow. And all of these things lead to very bad outcomes for her, very bad outcomes for him, very bad outcomes for both of us. Well, and, and I would just ask before we move on, if you're married listening to this, or even as Joe said, single listening to this, ask yourself the question whenever you do get married again, or if you're already married, do you spend more time walking on eggshells trying to not upset your wife or leading your wife? That's the difference. You got a lot of guys who, again, they'll go throughout their day. They'll go throughout their week. What decisions can I make that will not upset my wife? What stances can I take that won't, again, not saying you need to, you need to set out to tick her off. That's not what we're saying. But you have to set out to say, I'm going to lead this family. I'm going to lead this marriage. Um, I want to get to the, the next. I want to hold on. I want to sum that yeah, up real ahead. quick. I can actually do one real quick because I, I usually don't. But <laughs> both of these points come down to one thing. You both need to be looking to what does God want? What what right. what does God approve of? What makes God happy? What pleases him? Not what pleases them. Not what's going to keep my approval rating up, what pleases God. And if the husband's doing that, he's going to make the right decisions, no matter what she thinks about it. And if she's doing that, she's going to submit, even if she doesn't really want to. And and I think that kind of wraps up everything we said there. And I, I would add it. one more thing. Think 20 years down the road. I'm five years in. Think 20 years down the road. Is what I'm doing today going to be- benefit my marriage in 20 years? 
Is it going to make it stronger or weaker? Is my bitterness going to grow over time or is it going to lessen over time? And right now, the hard decision would be to maybe have that conversation you don't want to have because it might tick her off. But you know what? In 20 years, you'll be thanking yourself when you guys have a really strong marriage built on solid communication. So play the long game as well and think about where is this leading? Am I going to be divorced before 25 years of marriage because I can't, my bitterness is, is a mile high? Therefore, we, we can wrap that one up because, I, again, I could go off on still on that one for a long time. We'll take us into the next one. Yeah, Jack was brief. Joe, not so much. Oh, but, but, never. But, you know <laughs> me. You know me. <laughs> so I want to jump to kind of this idea of just the general pessimism that is surrounding marriage. And this is one that I think us as young guys can certainly speak to um, just because we went through this, in my case, three and a half, four years ago, uh, in Joe and Jack's case, a little bit longer. But just you know, kind of the the comments that people will make, you know, whenever you are first getting engaged or the comments you, that people will make when you first get married. Um, me and my wife would hear this quite a bit. Oh, you know, you two are just still in the honeymoon phase. You know, we would, we'd be six months or a year into marriage and, you know, we'd want to sit by each other at a restaurant, you know, something simple like that. And you would hear that. Oh, oh that isn't that cute. They're still in the honeymoon phase as if the idea is, you know, Hey, just wait 10 years and you're not going to want to sit by each other. You know, little stuff like that. You know, we would get excited to see each other whenever we'd walk into the room, you know, older couples, in my opinion, especially can be guilty of this. You know, Oh, look at that couple. They're still in the honeymoon phase with the implication being that romance affection for your spouse is supposed to end at a certain point. Um, you know, me and me and Rachel, and then this might be something that, people listen, are going to roll their eyes at, we are dedicated to making the honeymoon phase in quotes last as long as we possibly can last for our entire marriage, you know, Lord willing, but you've got this, again, this implication that's out there that, Hey, give it two years, give it five years, give it seven years. And you won't be in the honeymoon phase anymore. The romance will stop. The affection will stop. Uh, just the wanting to be around each other will stop guys speak to that for just a second. Again, we've heard that quite a bit from older couples within the church, this just kind of, it's sad to me to, to hear older couples within the church say things like that. And I know they don't mean any harm by it. Typically it's not malicious, but it does, again, it gives the implication that, Hey, you're not going to want to be around her after about seven, 10 years. Once again, all these jokes are based somewhere in truth. And it is the, it's almost like they want you to fail, like to join the pool of misery that they're in. Um, because it's, well, just wait until the honeymoon phase wears off. Wait, uh, get past that first year, then see what happens. Wait until you have a kid. Okay, I've had a kid. Wait until you have two kids. Okay, I had two kids. Wait until you hit five years. Okay, I've hit five years. So I, I still love my wife. I'm not, you know, I, I don't hate her guts. Is it at seven years? Is it at, at 10 years? Is it three kids, four kids? I mean, at what point am I supposed to start uh, start hating her? It hasn't happened yet, and I guess I'm just waiting for it to hit every, any day. And this is what we're, this is kind of the implication that, that has been given us is your marriage will begin to stink at some point. And settle in, try to enjoy the good days. You'll have the glory days to reflect back on, and that'll make for some nice or weekends. You're, you're, you'll have the wedding day and everybody's like, all right, it's all downhill from here. You know, stupid stuff right. like that. Right. And what are we trying? That's my question, I guess. What are we trying to accomplish with that? What, what is the other than, yeah, making a quick joke at, at really our wife's expense or our husband's expense, um, the making this joke, what is the intended purpose of that? Is it to make the person that you're telling that to feel great about the, the future of their marriage? Is it to, you know, act like you're super witty? I'm sorry, that joke's been made a bazillion times. You're not witty if you make that joke. Like, I don't get the point of us trying to degrade 
marriage and act like it will naturally stink at some point? Does it have to, I guess, is my question. The other thing, like, apply this to other things. Your your friend buys a brand new Corvette. Like, yeah, but you're going to have to replace the tires eventually. Yeah, but the insurance <laughs> on that is going to be ridiculous, man. Yeah, well, just wait, you know, 10 years down, it's going to lose that... that uh, that's the type of... That, that's the type of friend that nobody would want to be around. Right, right, right. And again, it's like, it's a beautiful thing. This is a celebrated thing. This is a, a wonderful thing. And like, it is a mindset because you think, oh, it's just a joke. But as Joe said, there's truth behind the joke. And the other thing is like, you don't make that joke about other things. And and so think about what you're joking about. Think about what you're implying. Think about what you're saying with these little quips, little... Because I, not this one, but there's a lot of things with which I find myself doing these things. We got twins on the way, and people are like, you excited? Yeah, man, we're going to be so tired. Yeah, of course we are. So what? We're going to have twins. We're going to have two human souls who mm. God has placed in our hands. That's unbelievable, you know? And, and yeah. how cool the concept of twins is that God came up with and all that. But, you know, I find myself falling into, uh, yeah, boy, it's going to be a handful. Yeah, it is. That's great. You know, that's part of it. And, and so... I don't want them to hear me, you know, down the line having joked about like that. Well, it's the same thing about your marriage. You want your spouse hearing that, that you're telling some younger couple, oh, yeah, just settle in now. Like, come on. And I and think well, there's the, this. Oh, go ahead. Uh, you guys, I'm, I'll make my point in a minute, but go ahead. I was going to say the unfortunate part of it is, and I kind of started talking about this at the beginning of the episode. There are a lot of marriages within the church that model this, unfortunately. As you both of you all said, it's not just a joke. It's that you look at them on a Sunday morning you know, they don't look happy to be together. You know, you interact with them in a fellowship, you know, whatever. And a lot of this you can chalk up to, well, that's just, you, you that's just snap judgments. You don't know them, you know, maybe as close, you know, when, in the, when they're within their own home or something like that. But there are a lot of couples that once again, model this idea that we don't enjoy being together. You know, we're, we don't enjoy being married. We'd rather not be married again is the implication that can be given. And so you combine the fact that, a lot of couples model this with the jokes that, that certain people will make. Is it any surprise that young people are going, well, I don't No Thanks. Right. I'll stay away from marriage. I'd rather live with my boyfriend, girlfriend. I'll, I'll stay away from the marriage thing. If that's what I have to look forward to. And so much of the advice is marriage is a lot of work. You don't make sure you're working on your marriage. Marriage is a lot of work. No doubt. I'm not saying that's not the case at all, but what do we get from that? If, if all I ever hear is it's going to be work, it's going to be work, it's going to be work. Even Let's talk about the, the benefits. Is what, yeah. Right, exactly. Look at Solomon. Yes, you work your entire life. Look at Ecclesiastes. But there are, hey, there are times where you enjoy the fruits of your labor, where it's good to sit back and go, man, I've done a lot of cool things. It's the same thing in marriage. There is, we don't ever really talk about the, the fruits of working really hard in your marriage, of how amazing it's going to be. And partly I wonder is because a lot of people saying it. They may not show the fruits. They may not have those fruits in their marriage. It's going to be a lot of work. To what end? If it's work for work's sake, exactly as you're saying, Will, if I am a 23, 24-year-old and all I'm hearing is I'm seeing my parents divorce, I'm seeing you know people in the church aren't really modeling it too much, and there are, again, that's broad brush, but if they're seeing that, and then the only advice they get is it's going to be a lot of work when you get married. Boy, that, that sounds pretty bleak. I don't know that I really want to put the work in. When you put the work in, marriage is unbelievable. It is incredible. The connection, the bond you build with somebody, the two becoming one flesh is is truly a unique thing in life that God designed, I think, as, as again, as the pinnacle. This is supposed to mirror Christ in the church. Yes, there's work the same way for Christians. There's work for us to do to be the bride for Christ. At the same time, we get to be married 
as, as the church, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. Like he gets us, we get heaven. Where there's how many blessings that look at Ephesians one, all the spiritual blessings found in Christ. Ephesians, before it ever hits Ephesians five, spends the first three chapters on the doctrine talking about how great it is to be a Christian, how right. great it is to be one with Christ and to have the Holy Spirit itself inside of us as our seal of redemption. So take a solid foundation doctrinally and then apply it to, yes, you are the bride of Christ and you're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, right? And in Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6, get into that based on the positives that we already have. Same in marriage. Yes, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of things we need to do, but it's based on the doctrine of this is an incredible thing God has blessed us with. And when you miss that part, all we get is marriage is a lot of work. Man, how, how, what a bummer. Are you guys familiar with the term normalcy bias? So yeah, yes. uh, the visual representation of it is kind of that this is fine meme, you know, the room's on fire and the little dog's like, oh, this is fine. And right. we live through things like that all the time. And, you know, uh, I've seen people get like knee replacement surgery and they're, they put it off for years and years and years and they get it and they're like, oh, wow, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? Like, I just, I just thought it was, I, I had to live that way, but wow, it's better this way. I think marriage goes through that as well. How many Christians you see, and, and I, I have to applaud Christians who have committed we're not going to get divorced we shouldn't get divorced god doesn't want us to divorce we're not going to get divorced and so they think we have to stay in this where people in the world would get divorced because they're miserable they're not enjoying it they're saying we're not going to do that and so they're going to sit in the room that's on fire and say this is fine and right. and just carry on that marriage that they're not enjoying the spouse isn't enjoying there's kind of a mutual hostility there's snide remarks there's constant little skirmishes rather than all-out fights and you're just kind of again that misery and the normalcy bias sets in thinks this is how it has to be and i i guess i'm just going to live this way don't do that don't do that right. you know like figure out what it takes to get help you brought up earlier ask an older christian couple to sit with you and walk you guys through it look for that good advice look for people who can help you uh, you know joe you've you've counseled people there's there's good christian counselors that can help with those things don't accept that, and especially, more than anything, don't pass that on to somebody else and say, this is how it has to be. Right. And then that's the thing, is that we have to get back to teaching and modeling for our young people that romance, affection, sexual desire, etc., is not supposed to transition into disgust, annoyance, and dislike. Um, and, and so to your point, it, it doesn't have to be the way that it is. Don't just accept it for, oh, well, I guess this is normal, so I'll just live with it take the necessary steps. And I know Joe has, has repeatedly brought up the, how we view the, well, marriage is a lot of work and you know, kind of in a negative way. It is a lot of work. And if you are in this position as to, you know, maybe you are uh, disgusted with your spouse a lot, you are annoyed with your spouse a lot to get out of this, of, of this idea of normalcy bias that Jack brought up, it is going to take work. It's going to take uh, making steps that maybe you don't want to take in order to get back to a position of once again, affection, romance, wanting to be with your spouse, wanting to sit by your spouse at a restaurant, something as simple as that. Joe, you had a point to bring up? Yeah, just I'll, I'll wrap it up and we can move on. Never stop working on your marriage. I, in no way am I saying you don't work on your marriage. Absolutely, never stop working on your marriage. You should be working on it every single day in the way you communicate, in in the small little gestures, your body language, the the way you, you know, everything is, it, we're working on it. My whole point is to what end? The, the work that I put into my marriage every single day is creating something that is inexplicably beautiful in my life. I, I love my wife to death and we have so many good days together. Do we have our bumps along the way? Absolutely. Do we have our bad days? Absolutely. That's something that we work on and it creates 
again, just a, a beauty that really is unmatched by anything. That's what I want our hearers to, to hear is keep working on your marriage. I'm not saying don't, but recognize what should be coming out of it. And if you're not seeing the fruits of that, maybe address that in your marriage as well. I want to jump to, I was going to save this question for later, um, but I want to go ahead and, and get your guys' thoughts on it now. And it's this idea of individualism within a marriage. Um, so something that I've observed uh, as somebody whose who's peers are, are starting to get married and you know be two or three years into their marriage, unfortunately, a lot of what I see um, early on in marriages, maybe midway through marriages, is that we, the husband, the wife, they no longer are working on themselves, if that makes sense. So obviously from God's word, we know we're called to be one flesh, right? You know, husband and wife, you're, you're no longer just two individuals. At the same time, personally, I will see husbands, I'll see wives who don't really take care of themselves physically anymore. Fitness goes out the window. Nutrition goes out the window. Exercise, uh, bettering themselves, broadening your horizons. That stops at, the, at once the wedding vows are said for a lot of people. And it's not just the physical side. It's the uh, within the, the relationship side, the romantic dates kind of stop the random, Hey, I bought you flowers stops the special notes for your spouse, spouse, the thoughtful gestures. Those things kind of go out the window. A lot of times, once the wedding vows are said, we quit exercising, the nutrition stops. We quit writing, you know, our, our love letters. We quit, we stop the thoughtful gestures. Speak to that for just a second. Why, why do you guys think that is? Because that's another aspect of, again, just kind of the stuff, the things that we've observed. We don't have the, the 15, 20 years of experience, as has been stated a million times already. But we've got to do a better job, in my opinion, of making sure that, yes, we understand we're not just two individuals anymore. But that doesn't mean that we stop working on our own individual selves. Yeah, nobody would put it this way. It, it's just kind of the practical implication of I've got you now. You're under contract. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, we're all sports fans. We have the the term the contract year, where a guy's contract yeah. is going to expire is always statistically the best year of his career. I mean, he, he gets in the best crazy shape. shape. Oh, yeah. yeah, and just comes in and, and puts up a huge year and then comes to the table like, all right, where's my money? Uh, or if you're not a sports fan, politicians. Politicians on the campaign trail are amazing. The minute they take the vow and go into or the oath and they go into office, different guy, right? Different person. Um don't be that within a marriage. And and I think you brought up it's the one flesh thing. Uh, and you are one flesh. But as you said, you still have yourself to work on. And it's it's carrying your part of the weight. You are, are part of this new creation, this new one flesh that God has brought together. But if one side of the body slumps, that is a serious you know diagnosis. That's a, a big problem. Uh, and so determining, I'm going to do my part. And, and one of the easiest things to do is look over and say, they're not doing their part. Why should I do mine? Uh, you know, the, the, one, the minute those frustrations come in, the minute that work starts that we talked about, uh, where maybe they do something that annoys you, maybe, you know, all of these adjustments that you have, learning to live with somebody, learning to share a life with somebody, learning your roles, learning to fit together in that way, um, the easiest thing to do is go, I don't like this. This is hard. I'm not going to buy flowers anymore. I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to bring the best me to this whole thing. I'm just going to mail it in. And to the opposite of, of that, you know, when they say, well, they accept me for who I am. They just, they accept me already. It can be really tempting to go, oh, I'm, I'm accepted. Um, you know, I feel really good about like my, my spouse is telling me that me being overweight doesn't bother them at all, that they find me just as attractive. And so it is 
it may not be to the negative end of, of things as much as there's a real positive warm glow of like, man, my spouse is accepting me and you stop growing because to your guys's points, this idea of, of the two becoming one flesh doesn't mean that you don't work on the individual and that because what I would challenge those that might say, and I don't know how many people would say that, but if they said that, I'd be like, what does the one flesh actually mean? And wouldn't you want that one flesh to be in as good a shape as possible to be, you know, as loving as possible to be as doting as possible if you're going to become one flesh. So what does that tangibly mean? Two individuals have to give their very best individually to make the best individual, you know, the two becoming one flesh. Um, and so, yeah, to that point, even if your spouse is accepting of that and says, oh, you know, I find you just as attractive. You, to me, you kind of owe it to yourself. And I'm speaking to myself just as much here. I'm not in the greatest shape and, and there are things I definitely need to work on, but you owe it to yourself to try to be the best that you can be, not just to your spouse. They may accept that you don't give them flowers anymore. Why do you accept that of yourself? Why are you okay with, with, mailing it in because again, Jack is, I think you pointed out perfectly. I got you now. Like what the, I don't need to do those things because ultimately your goal was to get your spouse and that's it. That should not be your ultimate goal. It should be, man, they are to help me. The woman is to be a help meet along the way to me achieving other goals and helping. And, and I'm going to love her and cherish her and take care of her and protect her and give her all the, the great things about being a wife. But I'm going to continue my path, not just, I got myself a wife and now I'm good to, to chill. Well, and, and this might seem like a bit of a tangent here, but it's really not because, you know, we're still talking about the idea of, well, you two are just still in the honeymoon phase. It's the idea, the implication that you stop trying after you get married. Again, not just the physical, you know, weight, nutrition, but again, the taking your wife out on a, on a special date, planning something, thoughtful gestures. It's this, this general pessimism that exists in the sense that, hey, within the first two years, you know, all that stuff is good. That goes out the window. You stop trying, you know, you stop working on yourself. And again, it's just this general pessimism that we don't want to see in, you know, with, with our Christian marriages, right? You know, these are things that we observe. These are things, these are the jokes and things like that are things that were told to us as young guys. We want to make sure, as Jack already said, don't pass that on to the next generation. The, the, the next point that is kind of going to dovetail with this one. So we won't spend too long on it, but the, to go right along with the, oh, you two are just still in the honeymoon phase. It's the idea, oh, your marriage is great now. Just wait till you have kids. And Joe briefly brought it up a second ago. But once again, it's the implication that your marriage is going to go into the tank once you start having to worry about kids. And I'm going to let these these two, because my son is four months old. And uh, so I have exactly four months of parenting experience. These guys have quite a bit uh, more than I do. But speak to the speak to this idea for just a second that it results in a lot of people viewing their children, viewing kids as a burden, as a hindrance, as an obstacle to having a good marriage. Just horrible advice, just horrible myths associated with children and marriage. Speak to those for just a second. Jack, you're about to be a dad of four and of twins. I'm going to let you answer this one. Uh, it's a real thing, though, that it's an adjustment. Uh, as oh, I said, you know, on this one, we're speaking from what little experience we do have. Um, you know, we had our, our little girl uh, come a few years ago, four years ago, um, shook our lives up. I mean, it your sleep changes, your habits change. You can't just hop in the car and, and go run somewhere and, and do things. And yeah, that was something I had to learn. You know, my wife, she's one of those women that was just a natural born mother, you know, just did, does so many of the things so well. I just didn't know, you know, I just kind of thought, okay, we're gonna have a kid. There's gonna be a few weeks of adjustment and all right, then we'll just keep going. And there were things where I, you know, I lived like that and that frustration set in and it was kind of like 
that that life is gone and this life is great it's new it's different but it is a big change and and so that was an adjustment period for us it was an adjustment period for for Allison of okay like I'm keeping this little person alive what is my identity beyond that? Am I, you know, basically like I'm an extension of her almost at this point. So that was an adjustment of, of almost like losing her identity as a wife because now she's full-time mom. And, you know, these are the psychological things that we have to work through. And and I had to learn to give room for her in that, that she's working through all this. And so my expectations of her, it's not fair of me to to put demands on her, expect her to be the exact same person or or give as much attention to me as, as she did before because look at the time, you know, that she has for it and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest with it. It really shook us up. You know, the second time comes along, I, I feel like we do a little bit better with it. Uh, twins on the way. Uh, again, the further we get down the road, the more we kind of understand, get ready. We're about to get smacked by a wave. And so it, there's truth in what people say. But again, that kind of implication that this is about to set you on a path of misery and going to really put you against each other. Um, I think, Joe, I'll set you up on this because I think this is something you talk about. Not turning out, but turning in. You know, leaning on each other rather than running away from each other in these these instances. Absolutely. And this goes with kids. It goes with any sort of trauma, any grief, any loss, anything like that. Um, big changes in life, moves, things like that. We moved across the nation last year. And, uh, you know, from Colorado to Tennessee, it's a big change And where my wife will be, we'll have our third here coming up in June and Jack, I, you know, with the twins, that's going to be a lot of work and kids are a huge blessing. And Will, you had made the point that, you know, we view them as a huge hindrance. No doubt what you're saying, Jack, it is a huge change. But if you lean into one another with all the changes, instead of leaning away, instead of going and talking to your friends about it or burying yourself in your work or your video games or whatever else to kind of like get away from all of this tension that's taking place in your marriage and lean into one another and say, let's talk about this. You know, I'm, I'm very frustrated that, man, I got none of your time. You're with the kid 24 seven and the mom's going to go, what's my option? What am I supposed to do? Well, it's good for the guy to be able to vent and to say, I feel like it just an extension of the marriage. Like I'm, I'm kind of the, the third wheel here and not feeling very loved right now. Okay. The guy's allowed to feel that. And the woman is allowed to defend herself and say, I don't really have a choice. I feel obviously this kid is is my responsibility and, and so that puts a lot on me. Okay, what can we do to help that? Maybe we'll make a date night and take the kid, but you know, where there's there's this opportunity to grow and to lean into one another. So we have those difficult conversations, but the idea is you don't lean out into other things. And one of the things I see the most is parents who lean into their kids. Instead of leaning into one another for support, they lean on their kids and they make their kids their entire life. And if the kid, they, they, you know, this is specifically true for moms and I'm not calling them out as it's amazing the mom's ability to take care of their kid. Unlike us dads will really ever know. And I'm not saying us dads can't, but just in an incredible way. But I also see a lot of moms whose lives are now completely taken over by the kids. They kind of forget their lives their and their marriages. Yeah, correct. Correct. And so that a guy is kind of on the outs and the kid takes that. And it's because I think the mom is putting all of that into the kid. She's not leaning into her husband. She's leaning out. And it's, it's kind of, it's one of the greatest excuses there is. It's a legitimately good excuse as to not put as much time into your husband. Cause who can argue with, man, I'm taking care of your kid. What more do you want? At the same time, I think it's very detrimental for marriages to begin focusing way more on the kids than on the marriage because look the marriage was here first you chose one another 
the kid will be out of your house, Lord willing, eventually. Um, you'll still be with one another. What are you currently doing, even in the midst of kids, to ensure that the future is bright for your marriage? I think that's some of the good advice. We've talked a lot about the bad advice we've been given, but some of the good advice uh, I have been given, and you guys probably have too, is making sure your your spouse knows that you put them first. Make sure your kids know. Um, even, you know, I, as I said, my oldest is about four. There are things where it's like, I'm, nope, this is it's time for mommy. Or, you know, I, I bring home a, a special treat, maybe some Dairy Queen or whatever, and she wants to share what I got for mommy. And I, I got her something herself, something little for uh, Gloria. But, you know, oh, mommy, can I have? No, that's not for you. I got that special for mommy. You don't get that. And it's just little things like that at this age. But at the older she gets, this time is not for you. We need you to go run and play. I'm talking to mommy right now. You you know, and and kind of that not interrupting and, and prioritizing. And, and man, there are things, uh, again, with the younger they are, you have to. I mean, you just, okay, the infant is crying. We got to go do something about that. You know, like. Can't just leave kid, them there. <laughs> yeah, the kid just threw up over the floor. Our discussion can wait. But. Still finding those ways to say, as I said, that's some of the the really good advice we received is make sure that you know, that your spouse knows, and that your kids know what the pecking order is here. And I think that's good advice just from you right there, Jack, in the sense that sometimes it is just the little things. Sometimes it's the, you know, bringing home the Dairy Queen or whatever to let your spouse know, yes, we're insanely busy with our toddlers, our infants, whatever. I'm still thinking of you. I'm still doing everything that I can to put you first. Will, you are the one that is is the most recent dad, Jack. You're about to take that role. But, Will, you're, you know, you've got a four-month-old, cutest little kid there is. With Jackson coming into the picture, mm-hmm. how has that, how have you and Rachel stayed close, stay connected um, during this time? Well, part of it is just so easy because he's just so darn cute that, you know, you can't That's get true. mad at it. But, um, no, I think for us, um, one of the biggest things that, that we understand is um, – Yes, our lives have changed. And that to, to Jack's point, you know, we can't just stay up till 1130 and doing the things that we want to do all the time. You know, we both acknowledge, yes, there's an adjustment that we both have to make. But as far as your, your question of how have you guys stayed close, we view him as this is sound weird, but kind of like an, our new hobby, right? Like we enjoy going and getting him up in the morning out of the out of the crib. And we enjoy, you know, taking him places and, and doing things with him where we're still together. We're still going on dates with him, right? So to speak, he, he's our chaperone now. No, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're still uh, dating in a way. We're still you know, enjoying our time together. We've just added him along. And I think one of the things that is going to be huge as he gets older and as, as we continue to, to kind of adjust to this new period is just making sure that our lives don't revolve around him. As y'all have already said, yes, there are a lot of things that we have to, you know, we've got to make sure he gets, he gets food. We've got to make sure he gets nourished. We've got to make sure he gets, gets to his doctor's appointments. We got to make sure that he gets to sleep, all these things. At the same time, we're not going to make our lives constantly revolve around him. Um, if that makes sense. And you're doing it. You spoke beautifully. You're doing it together. The things that right. as much as you can, and I realize there are dads that work and, and, and even moms that work and it's just difficult sometimes to make that happen, but prioritize the things that you naturally have to do for your kid anyway. Do it together. Getting them up in the morning. Yeah. Make that a tradition. I love that point, Well, of, of doing it together. And this well, all cycles to that where we just started with all this. Just wait till you have kids. Like, yeah, use that as a blessing to grow closer together. Not, right, uh, right. It's not the curse that, that it's being made out to be. Right. 
All right, so let's get into, and I, fellas, I kind of want to do maybe just a rapid round on these. We got a few more um, bad pieces of advice. We could get into each one and go on for a long time, but there's a few more that I really want to get into. Um, and and the first, we'll just come right out and say it, is give him sex and he'll be happy. This myth that, and I, I don't know, we don't explicitly hear this maybe, but things very much along this line of like the guy will want sex all the time and the woman's job just to keep her guy happy is give him sex and that'll set him on his way and he'll be fine. And, you know, he needs to just make sure that he kind of, again, more of the nice guy stuff. But the way to make the guy perfectly happy with you is be available for sex 24-7 when he wants it every day. Just do it. And why, I guess, is that bad advice? Well, uh, to me, it, yeah. sorry, Jack, I was going to say to me, first of all, it creates a very selfish mindset, right? Um, it creates rather than, you know, sex being something beautiful for two people for, for intimacy, it's, well, that's what he wants. And, you know, that, that, so I guess I'll just make him happy in that way. It, it's just, it, to me, it fuels selfishness. If that is your mindset of, well, you know, that's what he's wanting. I just want to keep him happy. So there you go. You know, it fuels selfishness from the husband's point of view. Obviously, it fuels selfishness from the wife's point of view of, well, you know, this is what he wants to keep him happy. So any time that selfishness creeps into a marriage or, you know, there are problems that arise. You know, we are we are called to be selfless within our marriage. But attitudes like this, advice like this, mindsets like this, to me, fuel selfishness. That's a very simple, quick answer. Jack, what do you think? I think with some of these rapid fire things, one of the uh, people are familiar, a lot of people are familiar with the the book and the term, the five love languages, right? Yep. That everyone receives love different ways and gives love different ways, whether it's gifts, words of affirmation, you know, the physical affection, things like that. Um, I would also put on top of that, uh, his needs, her needs. It's a similar concept, but goes a little bit deeper into the the emotional needs, the the things that we need out of our, our spouse. And man, when, when you just simplify it and you know, for towards the male, it's give him sex. I think our next one for the woman is, you know, give her flowers or something like that. Just these gestures that that's going to be the band aid, the, the fix all that, that your problems solve here. No, you really got to get to know, get to know the other person. You've got to figure out emotionally connect. Right. right. And you know, Allison and I have used this uh, analogy for ourselves as, as we've learned and grown is it's kind of like when you first get married, you figure out how to make the other person's coffee, Right. Um, you know, how much cream do you like it? How much sugar do you like it? How do you take it? Um, how much do you like, you know, big mug, little mug, whatever else. And, and you learn that about the person. And so then you can do that nice thing for them. The next time, you know, you can go make them coffee. You've learned that about them. If I just think, okay, well, I'm supposed to give my wife coffee and I just did it and handed it to her every morning. That doesn't do her any good. And so you really have to learn each other. And these these quick fix band-aid things that, that kind of get into our minds, get ingrained in us. They don't help. You really got to learn how to fix the other person's coffee. You really got to learn how to show the other person love and, and, and you know, make them feel appreciated but and loved and, and all those things. Basically, you're saying, uh, Joe, before you jump in, getting your wife flowers is not 100% going to solve the problem. Getting your wife chocolate, giving your husband sex is not just, okay, problem solved now. No, there has to, like you're saying, there has to be emotional connection. There has to be communication. We could go 30 minutes talking about how much that is needed in a marriage. The flowers, the chocolate, the sex, whatever, is not just going to be snap your fingers. All right, we're good to go now. We're all individuals, right? And all of these things are like one size fits all. And right. th that uh, that honestly is, is an insulting thing. 
is you think, oh, you can just do for me what you would do for any other woman in the world if you were married to her, or any other man in the world if you were married to him, and that'll make me happy. You got to know each other. You got to work these things out, and and that's just kind of some of the bad cultural advice that gets in our head. And there's this great myth that women are more emotional than men, like men basically have no emotions. Women are more emotional at the same time. That is, that often leads to, well, guys just don't have emotions and their main, main emotion is sex. That's not an emotion. And yes, guys are highly, highly emotional. I have a theory that I think has, has played out just in the small amount of research that I've done with the clients that I've worked with. Um, those, the guys who are taken more care of emotionally have less sex. I've seen it across the board when they are in a, a fantastic marriage. The guys that want sex every single day are those whose they never connect with their wives. Their wife never listens to, you know, maybe some of the stuff that they have going on. They feel the need to, okay, I got to be there for my wife emotionally and I get sex out of the deal. That's terrible. You need to be there for each other emotionally. Be there for your wife emotionally. Absolutely. Is she there for your emotions? And do you, most guys don't know that they have emotions other than happy and angry. If you're a guy listening out there, I would Google emotions wheel and just for a week, print one of those off and for a week, come home and see how many different emotions dig deep. See how many different emotions you felt during the day, because my guess is it's a lot more than happy and angry. Get into your emotions. Let your wife know of your emotions. Um, there's a there's a great thing for addicts that we use called Phanos, F-A-N-O-S. And um, that was the guy on Avengers, right? The Phanos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> According to my three year old. Yeah, that's how he'd say it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, exactly. So when you snap your fingers, no, just kidding. Um, but the idea of Thanos is it is for addicts and the last, the S is sobriety. Have you been sober? But I think it's a really good thing to start the day. It's, I believe it's feelings, affirmations, needs. Um, um, what am I looking for? The O is, is basically, um, it's not objects in the way, but kind of like things that, that need to, or that are kind of in the way. And I can't remember, I'm blanking on it now. Obstacles. Maybe, yes, obstacles. Maybe that's it. I guess I'm the expert now. You are the expert. (laughs) Good for you. Yes. Um, But um, I'm inevitable. Anyway, I I was about to make that. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to move on. Uh, And yeah, you still haven't seen Avengers. You're not going to get that joke, but uh, yeah, exactly. So anyway, my whole point is this goes for guys and girls. Guys are, are, are emotional beings as well. We need to accept it. We need to take that, that, Part of being a guy is allowing for those emotions and being in control of those emotions, having dominion over your emotions, not being ruled by your emotions, but yes, acknowledging the fact that you have emotions. Sex is not the answer to every guy's needs. There's a lot of guys who the wife wants sex more than them. Where do people like that fit in for that stereotype? I run into all sorts of guys like that, that it's like, man, actually, and then we feel like less of men for it because I don't want sex all the time. Well, maybe allow that, even have that conversation with your wife, but figure that out emotionally. So uh, we're going to wrap that up. We're going to move to the next one. That kind of covers those two of give her flowers and she'll be happy. Um, The emotions. Will, you just said it perfect. Just understand those emotions. And this goes right along with, uh, I guess it's very similar to the same thing, but this idea of like, hey man, do the dishes and she'll sleep with you. And Jack, you had a really good point on this, of this covert contract. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. I didn't come up with the term. It's from a but I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the whole thing. I should have written it down. Uh, but this guy came up with a brilliant idea of the covert contract. And it's this idea of, of you've got in your mind and, and Christian guys, I mean, Christian marriage seminars, books, videos, you're going to see this stuff all the time. You know, husbands, there's nothing sexier to wife than a man doing dishes or vacuuming the house or, you know, doing those chores. And if you do that, she's going to really want you. It does. That's not true. 
it's it's a lie. It is the stupidest thing in the world that yeah. you should do the dishes. You should help around the house. You should do those chores. But when you do it, it, it's so dishonest and it's so hurtful to your marriage when you think in your head you've got this contract that says, I do this, she's going to give me what I want. And then you do it and she goes, cool, he did the dishes. He vacuumed. That was really nice of him. And that's all you get out of it. And now you're mad. You did your half of the bargain, and hers wasn't... How would she know? She, she That was an unspoken expectation. And it really annoys me. It drives me crazy. This advice is everywhere. Husbands just do this. You know, as I said, nothing sexier to a woman than a man who's in the kitchen. Stop saying that stuff. And stop teaching guys to act in that way that says, I'll do my part and she'll give me what I want. That is so detrimental. There's also kind of this idea like sexual tension in the marriage is just a natural that there will always be the guy that he's his, it's it's such a trope even on TV shows of what can I do to get the woman in bed if if, if it's doing the dishes if it's basically me you know doing everything that I wanted her to do or whatever it may be and and really her domain in the house. I'm going to do all of that for her, and that way she'll want it. Or well, I'm going to cook you're the setting meal, up or these gonna... covert contracts. I mean, just a million right. things of if I'm a good boy, I'll get what I want, and, and, it and all I, to... I'll deserve it, and, and she'll know it, and she'll get what's going on here. We're not mind readers, and that's so unfair. And it all ends, to me, it all ends in sex. Every single time for the guy. It all comes down to he's just doing whatever he can to try to, to you know, get sex from his wife. Uh, I don't know. I maybe that's just a, a trigger for me, and I don't know why. It just frustrates me that we boil sure. everything down into. I just really want sex, and I'll do whatever it takes for well, my to, wife in this covert contract to get it from her. That's not fair. Well, to your point, we discount the emotional side, the emotional connection. Um, right. I love the. I think it was the movie Fireproof, which has been out for goodness fifteen years probably now. But it it, can, it was the idea of hey, once you get married, don't stop studying your spouse. Don't stop right. trying to learn about them. Don't stop trying to emotionally connect with them. It's not, you know, and again, you see this a lot where you go on dates, you, you, you just really enjoy talking to them, um, you know, getting to know them. What's their favorite type of music? What's their, you know, get top five cheeseburger restaurants, you know, just right. kind of dumb stuff like that. But because you want to emotionally connect with them, you want to know those things that doesn't and shouldn't stop after marriage. You know, you should continue right. to try to learn. You should continue to try to emotionally connect. And I think sometimes again, that just gets discounted. That kind of gets thrown out the window once the wedding vows are said. This kind of leads us into this kind of final piece of bad advice, this myth that we want to speak to before we wrap up with this episode. And that is that, hey, marriage is going to fix your sexual temptation, right? If, if you're dealing with, with sexual temptation before, well, just, just go ahead and get married and that's going to solve everything. Joe, you're especially going to be able to speak to this from your therapy background. Um, but I want real quick, again, as rapid fire as we possibly can, Talk through why this one is, is such a bad piece of advice that, hey, just getting married is going to solve the sexual temptation. It's going to solve pornographic temptation, whatever it may be. I actually have an entire five-part presentation on pornography. Uh, no one really understands this at all. Um, that's for a different podcast, though. I think we'll do a full podcast on that. But yeah, I mean, marriage won't fix it. I'm just going to read right from one of my slides, to be honest, uh, something that I've worked on for a long time and, and, and thought about a lot as to why marriage isn't actually going to fix your issues. And the first is that quick fixes don't work. It took years to get this way. It won't go away in the first night of marital bliss. Um, second, endless sex in marriage won't stop the craving for porn because it's not really about sex. It's an emotional issue. And so when, when we think that endless sex is just going to solve it, I mean, of course, why not? But you know what? Your wife isn't a machine. She can't just have sex all the time. 
And so we realize this is a this is a an emotional issue, and marriage doesn't necessarily fix that. If you're still running to porn to fix or to to run from an emotional issue you never really worked through. Uh, third, your brain pathways have wired novel porn with high levels of pleasure. Your spouse stops being novel after a while. She stops being able to hit that level of dopamine that you're used to with porn. And so if you don't understand the the emotional side of sex and drawing closer to one another, then you're going to think that, well, she'll she'll be able to fulfill all my needs. It won't work because porn is supercharged. It is, is super normal stimuli, as we call it, and your wife simply can't match that. Uh, the fourth reason marriage won't work is because simply getting married doesn't stop your pride. You have not hit rock bottom, uh, rock bottom in needing to work through this. That's really what you have to do to work through these issues is, is that um, marriage just won't stop your pride and you have to come to the end of yourself and, and be willing to do whatever it takes. And fifth and finally, if you hope if you are hoping marriage is going to fix it, chances are you have not confessed it to your girlfriend or to your fiance, um, and your marriage was never going to have full intimacy, which will ultimately drive you back to porn. Uh, I, I did this with Alyssa. I told her, I think it was in September, uh, early September, and we talked and talked and talked. I don't think we really were on stable footing until mid-December. Um where we talked it through and it was really difficult. It almost broke us up. But I thought, you know what? We, I, I owe it to you before we get into a relationship, before we really started the courtship, uh, to tell her these things and to let her know so that she had the opportunity to choose for herself, fully knowing this was something in my past. And I owed that to her. And I think it, it strengthened the relationship because it got us started off on the right foot in us being open. But for all those that, again, think that marriage is going to just fix these issues, um, it won't because ultimately it's not about the physical. This is an emotional issue and people really need to start understanding that about sexual temptation specifically. Those are, those are really good thoughts, Joe. Um, and, and once again, as, as we kind of bring this episode to a wrap, we will say for the final time, we're young guys. We haven't been married, you know, 10 years, haven't even been married seven years in, in Jack's case coming up on six. But these are pieces of advice, uh, pieces of bad advice. These are myths that we have seen that, uh, once again, we see an issue within the church. And that is a lot, not all, of course, but a lot of marriages. Uh, are, we just don't view marriage correctly within the church in a lot of cases. And so in a, a lot of these myths, a lot of this bad advice, in our opinion, is just symptoms of this issue. And we, of course, as hopefully all of our listeners do, we want to see marriages get better. We want to see less and less divorce. Uh, we want to see more and more joyful, happy Christian couples within their marriage. We want to see young people running more towards, hey, marriage is a beautiful thing. I want to run towards that rather than, yikes, I'm going to shy away from that. I'm going to choose cohabitation. We don't want to see we don't want to see that with young people. And so, you know, hopefully with this episode, once again, uh, you know, just kind of put to rest a lot of the myths, put to rest a lot of the bad advice. If you're young listening to this, maybe you're unmarried, you're single. Um, we would encourage you watch out for these things, watch out for the, you know, just the tropes of, uh, well, you're still just in the honeymoon phase. Wait till you have kids, you know, just be the nice guy. Watch out for those things, you know, read God's word, you know, understand that these tropes that culture has created that, that even, you know, marriages today will, will try to tell you don't buy into them. Don't listen to them. And, and if you're an, an older married individual that is listening to this number one, as we've said, don't give this bad advice. You know, don't don't give the, these pessimistic thoughts to young people that, you know, again, your honeymoon phase, your, your affection, your romance, your thoughtful gestures, your those things are going to stop after five years. Don't do that. Um, and then obviously, as always, if you are uh, married listening to this as well, 
consider these things in your marriage. If you're a guy and your stance is, well, I'm just going to be the nice guy and, and not, not make anybody upset. I'd encourage you to read through, you know, the new Testament, read through, uh, first Timothy or first Peter three, read through Titus two, understand that's not the, that's not the role that God has, has, has laid out there for you. Ephesians five as well. Um, and so again, with this episode, we wanted to kind of dovetail it into marriage as we've discussed gender lately, uh, guys, unless you have any other thoughts, that is where we're going to wrap this week. And, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.